We do bring greetings in Jesus' name. It is good to be here and to worship with you and to share some time glorifying the great God that we have. Those were some kind words expressed toward our family, and we receive them in all humility. I do want to thank the congregation here for opening up yourselves to our lives. We've enjoyed our interaction the last couple years as our daughters have gained an interest in aspects of this congregation and uh, through the various events, youth activities, and so forth, we've learned to know some of you, and we have enjoyed it, and we wish you God's blessing as you, as you serve him here at Peckway. Our brother read out of Galatians chapter 5. I'm not planning on looking at all of the fruits of the Spirit this morning. I'd like to highlight just one. We'd like to focus on the very last item that was mentioned, some people say that this is one fruit, and it mentions various dimensions of that fruit, and some say that this is various fruits. I'm not going to enter that argument this morning, but I would like to focus on a dimension that is given in verse 23, and that is the dimension of temperance. God desires that his people are temperate in their life. And temperance, simply put, is self-control. It's being under the influence of not ourselves, but as it speaks here, being under the influence of the Spirit and subjecting our, ourselves, our bodies, to the influence of the Spirit. Temperance, or self-control, is a precious quality in the life of an individual. It's one that maybe doesn't get much attention, and yet it's something that's that we start early in life with our children in our instruction uh, in how they should live. Most of us as parents have taught our children at a young age to, uh, what's the words we use, control yourself, uh, get a hold of yourself. Uh, we don't allow our children to have uh, crying fits or temper tantrums or those, those kind of things because we're endeavoring to teach them self-control or temperance. And yet, I think we would all agree that at times, even as adults, there's areas where we struggle with being temperate. There's areas we struggle with, with gaining control over our own selves. There's a quote that says, he is a powerful man that controls others, but he is even a more powerful man that can control himself. And there's a lot of truth in that. It's difficult at times to control our own lives and our, the, own, our own de the desires of our own flesh. I suppose at times, if you're like me, there's, there's moments in frustration where you feel like screaming and just shouting. And yet, as a Christian, we maintain composure and gain control over ourselves. Think about a car. <clears throat> I suspect most of us drove this morning in a car, and a car is is tremendously useful in our lives. We can come to church, we can go to work, we can travel to visit, and so forth. But most of us have either experienced being in a car or observed a car that is, is out of control. And we know that something that is, is, was useful now becomes a deadly weapon. And sometimes lives are taken because a car is out of control. 
And so it is in our lives. There's aspects of our life that are fine as long as they are under control, as long as we are utilizing these aspects the way God designed them to be used. But when those areas of our life get out of control and we're not uh, maintaining use of those areas the way God designed, then those very same areas become a deadly poison in our life and especially in our Christian life. And I'm sure you've observed society. I, I heard a little bit about camp this week. I'm sure those of you that were involved at camp observed children that are in situations that are out of control, homes that are out of control. They live in a, a daily existence of a world that is, is out of control. And I pray that in a, the Christian church, that we are not subjecting our children to situations that are out of control. What a shame that is. Many people live their entire life that way with little or no restraint over their thoughts, their emotions, their behaviors, or their passions. And that is not to be the way the Christian lives his life. The Christian is to be temperate or self-controlled in all things. I'd like to look at three things this morning. I'd like to spend a little more time on the third area of the message, I'd like to look first at what is temperance? What are we talking about here? And just thinking together about the Christian and temperance, what it means in our life. And then I'd like to look at why it's important as a Christian, why is it so important that we are a temperate people, that we are, we are self-controlled, that we are not doing whatever our body tells us to do. And then in the last part, I'd like us to just look at some things and maybe do an examination in our own life. How are we doing in some of these various areas that we'll mention? And you can examine your life as I examine mine. But first of all, let's think about what is temperance. Temperance, as I stated, simply means self-control. As you dig a little bit deeper into what temperance is, it's the idea of strong or powerful mastery strong or powerful mastery and specifically over oneself and if we look at this word it especially has the idea of mastery over yourself in the area of appetite and chastity and those two areas of life are often or can be some of the hardest areas to gain control over our own selves in our appetites and in our chastity Someone said temperance is power to regulate and restrain our appetites and passions. Just simply another way of putting it. Power to regulate and restrain our appetites and passions. And as I look at one word in that definition, it says power. How do we have power to regulate our appetites and our passions? Probably most of us have been so hungry at some point that we've, we could eat almost anything. Uh, children or young people sometimes after a vigorous activity come in the house and say, I could, I could eat anything, I could, I could eat a horse. Now literally they couldn't, but you understand the, the hunger and the just, I could, I could eat something, I, on almost a loss of, of control. How do we gain power over that kind of, of appetite or passion in our life? Notice something with me in verse 22. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit. 
the fruit of the Spirit. Now compare that with verse 19. It says, now the works of the flesh. And so as, as Paul is looking at works of the flesh versus fruits of the Spirit, think about work versus fruit. A work is something that we do. A work is a labor or, or a toil. It's, a, it's an action. It's something we, we do out of our, our own uh, ambition, our own strength and power. That's a work. And in verse, seven, or verse 19, he's saying the works of the flesh, the things that we do in our flesh, the things that we produce in and of ourselves. And you can glance over the, the list of the evils that we do by our own works. But then in verse 22, it's not a work of the Spirit, but it is a fruit of the Spirit. Fruit does not create itself. An apple does not create itself. Fruit is a result of an attachment to something else and being nourished by something else. And so when we have the fruit of the Spirit in our life, and this morning we're looking at one aspect of that temperance or self-control, it's not something that we create in and of ourselves, but it's, it's the result of an attachment to the Lord through the Spirit and allowing God by the Spirit to nourish us and feed us in His ways. The apple is just a fruit. It's a result of what it is fed by. And so as we allow the Spirit to feed us in the ways of God, we produce a fruit that is pleasing to God. And it's not something on my own. It's something that is produced in me by the Spirit of God. And I think that's, that's so important. Sometimes we fail in, in uh, let's think about this area of self-control. Sometimes we fail because we're trying to do it on our own power. And we say things like, I just have to, have to try harder. I just have to pull myself up by my bootstraps. I just have to uh, gain more power in this area of my life. But it's not a work. It's not something we'll do on our own. It's something that God produces within us as a fruit as we remain attached to him and are nourished by his spirit. Let's move on from defining this thing of temperance. Let's move to why temperance is so important. And I'll give two reasons. We could look at more. But I'd just like us to think about in the life of a Christian, why is it so important for God to produce this thing of self-control and temperance in my life? First of all, temperance is important because it enables us to serve and please God. You cannot serve and please God as, a, as an out-of-control Christian. You cannot serve God well and bring pleasure to him if you have no control, if there's no uh, control in your own life. In Acts 24, 25, and if you're free to turn along with me this morning, go ahead. I'm going to look at a number of scriptures a little bit later especially. Acts 24 and verse 25, Paul is, is standing before the Roman governor, Felix, and he is witnessing to Felix. And I don't know what comes to your mind when you think about witnessing to someone, but Paul mentions something very interesting here as he is, is sharing of the faith with Felix. In verse 24, it says that Paul is before him and Felix is listening, and it says Felix heard him concerning the faith in Christ 
And this is what Paul talked about as he witnessed to Felix. In verse 25, it says, in Acts 24, 25, and as he reasoned of righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Did you ever think of witnessing to someone and talking to them about temperance? Usually we go to the cross and the judgment to come and living a holy life and so forth, and those things are right. But Paul mentions temperance, self-control, as he, as he shares of Christ with Felix. And Felix needed it. Felix was a man that, if you look at his life, uh, he was a man out of control, a very uh, lascivious person, a very sensual person. In fact, he, he fell in love with a, a beautiful woman, but the problem was she was already married. But he didn't let that stop her. He, he took her for his wife. And so Felix needed to hear about temperance. And as Paul is witnessing, he mentions temperance or self-control to Felix. It's a very important part of the Christian life. With temperance, we are able to serve and please God. In Galatians 5 again, in verse 17, it says, For the flesh lusts against the spirit, and the spirit against the flesh. These are contrary the one to the other, so that ye cannot do the things that ye would. And we get a sense of, of a struggle or a fight. Those that were at, at uh, camp this, this week, the one evening witnessed a tug of war where some were pulling this way and some were pulling that way. And eventually, somebody won. Somebody got their way. And so it is with the spirit and the flesh. Your flesh is pulling one way. Do this. The Spirit is pulling another way. Do this, and eventually you will make a choice, and one of those forces will win. Which one will it be? As we yield to the Spirit and allow the Spirit to help us control our vessels, control ourselves, we can please God and serve Him in righteousness. Romans 8 I'll be switching back and forth between Romans 8 a few times this morning. Romans 8, verse 8 says, So then they that are in the flesh, well, let me back up to verse 7, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. And so as long as we have no control over ourselves, our lives, the passions and appetites of the body, we cannot please God. It's only as we submit them to the control of the Spirit that we can indeed please God and serve Him the way He desires us to be. 1 Peter 4, I'd like to read a couple verses out of 1 Peter, thinking again of, of the importance of temperance and how it allows us to serve God. 1 Peter 4, verse 2 says, That ye no longer should live the rest of your time, or his time, in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Okay, so as a Christian, we're not living our time to the, the lusts of the, of the flesh, the lusts of men, but we're living ourselves, our, our lives, we're giving ourselves to the will of God to please him. For the time past of our life may suffice us to have wrought the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lasciviousness, lusts, excess of wines, revelings, banquetings, and abominable idolatries, wherein they think it strange that ye run not with them to the same excess of riot, speaking evil of you, 
who shall give account to him that is ready to judge the quick and the dead. And so there's a clear break in the life of the non-believer who lives a life of excess, of revelings, of, of doing what feels good, doing what pleases me, versus the life of the Christian who puts that life behind and lives to the will of God. It's only as we gain self-control in our life and allow the Spirit to direct us in that that we can truly serve and please God. Indulge A life of indulgence and a life of self-control are contrary the one to the other. The second reason it's important to live a temperate life is that temperance enables us to escape destruction and gain eternal life. In verse 21 of our text in Galatians 5, it, it, lit, it continues with a list of the evils that take place as we follow the lusts of the flesh. And then the end of verse 21 simply says that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. And so if you're a person that refuses to subject your body to the lordship of Christ through his spirit and you pursue the lust of the flesh, the Bible says that you cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Romans 8, again, verses 9 through 10 read like this. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the spirit is life because of righteousness. And so we understand again that as we just simply fall to the desires of the flesh, we are, we are doomed to death. But if we give ourselves to the control of the spirit, we are led to life, both here on earth and in the life that remains after this life is over. Romans 8, backing up a few verses, verses 5 through 6 say, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the spirit the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And so as we follow the Spirit, we find the most precious thing that so many people seek and never find, and that is the quality of peace. So many would desire to have peace in their life. And again, I'm sure that as you worked with camp, some of you worked with campers this week, you saw young people that are searching for peace. Hopefully, they find it as they subject themselves to the spirit. Romans 8 verse 13 says, For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the spirit do mortify or subject or subdue the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Again, temperance enables us to escape destruction and gain eternal life. Think with me before we leave this point. Think about the things that a lack of self-control. Think about the destruction that it brings into lives. And I'm going to read a couple of verses. You can just listen. Uh, but just think as you observe the world around you, a people that are, are out of control in some aspect of their life, think about the destruction that it brings. And maybe you can look at your own life and see how this impacted you at some point. Philippians 3 verse 19 speaks to uh, the thought of specifically gluttony. It says, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. And when the scripture 
speaks about gluttony, it's not always just referring to food. It's referring to a life of, cons of overconsumption that is out of control and brings destruction. 1 Timothy 6.19, it speaks about money and riches. It says, they that will be rich, or those that pursue, uh, uncontrollably pursue riches, will fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. And so if we don't have control in the, the area of finances, in our pursuit of riches, it says we will, it drowns men in destruction and perdition. Proverbs 7, I won't read the entire chapter, but Proverbs 7 speaks about the strange woman. And the strange woman is a woman that opposes the, th the things of God in many dimensions. And it specifically speaks in Proverbs 7 about um, a man that would fall into uh, the passions and into the, the wooing of the strange woman. The very last verse of that Proverbs, verse 27, says, Her house is the way of hell, going down to the chambers of death. And so there we see the end results of a person that cannot control their body in regard to sexual desires. It leads to the way of hell and the way of death. Proverbs 21, 25 speaks about laziness. It says, the desire of the slothful kills him, for his hands refuse to labor. A man or woman that can't get the gumption uh, to work. This week, I, I work in a, the trucking industry, and one of my jobs is to train uh, drivers that are coming to our company for a driving position. And my job is to train them in. This week, I had a, a potential driver that after we worked for a few days, we do flatbed work, which is some physical labor, probably not as hard as, as construction and so forth, but there's some physical labor involved. And uh, after we worked a few days, he said, I, I said, it, it seems like, like this, this job is, is a challenge for you. Uh, working outside in the heat, it's, it seems like it really, really tires you out. Are you sure you're, you're equipped for this? And he said, you know, he said, I, I just, I never really learned to work. And uh, I was never outside much. And, uh, and yeah, I just, I'm, I was just never, I was never taught to work like this. And, of course, he didn't get the job. Laziness, the lack of being able to control our body to simply work that we might live. Society reveals that a lack of self-control leads to dis destruction, and you've witnessed that as you've looked at relationships, at homes around you, uh, schools, families, in the workforce. You've observed that a lack of self-control brings destruction in many ways, chaos and ruin. So how are we doing as Christians? How are we doing in our life? Maybe our our lack of self-control is not on the same level as what we see in society. But can we say, can you say, that the temperance you exhibit in your life is pleasing to God? Can you say your self-control, the way you, you master through the aid of the Spirit your passions and your desires, can you honestly say 
that you are bringing pleasure to your heavenly Father in the way you practice self-control in your life. Let's consider some areas. I've jotted maybe a half dozen or so down here that, that I'd like to look at a little bit that the Bible speaks to. And let's just, as we walk through, through these, let's just examine our own life and see how we're doing. Examine your life, see how you're doing. Let's start with number one, with our speech. You knew we had to talk about our words sometime, right? Because speech can be, our words can be hard to control. Psalm 39 verse 1 says, I will take heed to my ways that I sin not with my tongue. I will keep my mouth with a bridle while the wicked is before me. The psalmist realizes that his tongue is something that needs restrained and controlled. It's okay to talk, but we do need to control the things that we say. He mentions a bridle. He mentions a horse. Just like a bridle restrains and controls a horse, so he, he realizes that he cannot just give his tongue free reign. If he does, it will lead to sin. It will say the wrong things. Proverbs 29, 11 says, A fool utters all that is in his mind, but a wise man keeps it in. And you've been around people that just, their tongue is just loose. And, and you don't have to wonder what they're thinking because they've already said it. And there's no control. And the proverb writer says that that kind of person is a fool. A wise man will keep it in and control his tongue. Do you talk for the sake of talking? Are you okay with silence? Do you have to say what's on your mind? Is it okay to keep it to yourself at times? Do the things that you say bring glory to God and edify others? Isn't that the purpose of our tongue? To praise and worship God and to edify and encourage others? That's what our tongue should primarily be used for. Let's move to another area. It follows very closely with this idea of speech. Let's think about, number two, the avenue of self-expression. Not only what you say, but how you express yourself as a whole. The modern way of thinking emphasizes that we, we, need, we need to express Whatever we're thinking, whatever we're feeling, whatever we're, we just need to express everything. And that is it being encouraged in our society. Whether it's a word or a song or art or aggressiveness or anger or emotion, a thought, a feeling, whatever it is, we need to express it. And so when someone is angry, they need to express that anger in some way. This is not the Bible, by the way. This is, this is modern way of, of thinking. But is that right? Is that true? Is that accurate? Proverbs 25, 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. One without rule is, is one that can't control his, his expression, his, his function. He doesn't have mastery over himself. And so he is without rule. He's without mastery in his own life. It says that man is like a broken down city. A broken down city is one that has been robbed of all that's good. Its walls are broken down. There's no protection from further injury, and it leaves it open to more destruction and temptation. That's the man that is not able to control his own spirit. And often, when a person starts just splashing out everything that they're thinking and feeling, there's more sin and destruction that comes in the tail of that. Are you temperate in your responses and your action, your reaction. When things hit you wrong, are you able to pause 
and gain control of yourself before you express whatever it is that hit you the wrong way. Number three, another area to consider is that of morality. And here again, we're thinking probably more specifically of the, uh, the sexual morality that is in our life. Turn with me to 1 Thessalonians 4. I don't want to spend a lot of time here, but I think we have to mention this this morning. 1 Thessalonians 4. God created this area of our life to be used and enjoyed, but in the right way. And as you know, everything that God created to be good, Satan wants to twist it into a sinful practice, a sinful habit. And in this area of life, Satan has, has focused a lot of attention in getting us to sin in this area. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting at verse 3, it says, For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that ye should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. Now, does that sound like self-control and temperance? Possessing your vessel. Verse 5, not in the lust of concupiscence, and even as the Gentiles which know not God. And now I'd like to jump to verse 7. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. And so are you temperate in this area of your life? And I think I can say with, with accuracy that this area uh, is, is a struggle in all of our conservative Circles. I don't think any one of us are, are uh, exempt from the struggle, and especially as we think about digital technology. There is a real struggle in our churches with digital technology, uh, pornography, that type of thing that is plaguing us. And I beg of you, are you temperate in this area? Are you self-controlled? Are you able by the Spirit to be victorious in this area of your life? Number four. Another area to consider is that of food. We talked just briefly about gluttony. As I mentioned, gluttony is often associated with a riotous life. Um, think about the days of Noah and the end times. It talks about people that are, that are eating and drinking and, and just being excessive in this area. It's not, it's not so much talking about obesity as it is talking about the type of life that is, is out of control in appetite. That's what's referred to in Scripture by gluttony. Jesus cautioned against, against this when he, he talked about excessive eating and drinking uh, in the end times, and that day would come upon us unawares. Food is good. We all need food and drink to live, and without it, obviously, we die. But food is not meant to be an escape. It's not meant to be... Uh, used in excess. It's not meant just as a hobby. We are to glorify God with our eating and our drinking. Does God really care about our eating? I find it interesting that 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 30, 31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So as you sit down to eat your meal here in another hour or so, if we do it, if we eat and drink the way God designed, we're bringing glory to him in our eating and drinking. But it's like any other area of life. If we pursue that avenue in a way that God never intended it to be, uh, we do not please God. And we fall in the category of the gluttonous sinner. And so in your life, 
as you look at how you relate to something as simple as food, are you self-controlled? Are you bringing pleasure to God in that way? Number five, let's talk just a little bit about sleep and work habits. The lazy and sleepy man go hand in hand, the slothful and the sluggard. A man that spends too much time sleeping that he's not able to provide for his family. Let's go back to Proverbs if it's easy for you. I'd like to jump around in Proverbs for just a few moments, thinking about our sleeping and our working. Are, they, are we in control in that area of life? Are we being temperate? Proverbs 6, verses 6 through 11. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou rise out of thy sleep? Yet a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to sleep. So shall thy poverty come as one that travaileth, and thy want as an armed man. A man that is out of balance, too much sleep, and not enough work. Proverbs 26, verses 13 through 16, say something similar. The slothful man saith, There is a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. As a door turns upon his hinges, so does the slothful upon his bed. And the slothful hideth his hand in his bosom. It grieveth him to bring it again to his mouth. Too lazy to bring his hand up to feed himself. The sluggard is wiser in his own conceit than seven men that can render a reason. Proverbs 20, verse 13, says something very similar. Love not sleep, lest thou come to poverty. Open thine eyes, and thou shalt be satisfied with bread. The life of a lazy man. On the opposite side of the spectrum, remember there's often a ditch on both sides. Satan doesn't care if he makes us a lazy, a slothful person out of us or if he gets us on the other side of the road into a, a workaholic. There's a ditch on both sides. So let's think a little bit about a man that is out of balance in his work life. He's gotten up, he's gone to work, but work has consumed his life. And so he's out of control in that area. Psalm 127 verse 2 says, It's vain to rise up early and stay up late to eat the bread of sorrow. God gives sleep to his beloved. We need to work to eat but we are not to be overburdened with work that we forget God. As we make an honest attempt to provide for ourselves, God promises he will see to the needs of his people, and we can claim that promise. Let's move to two more areas yet. The sixth one I'd like to look at is what I am calling gaiety, or you could look at the avenue of mirth or the the humor, the pleasures of life, the enjoyments of life, the things that, that add spice to life. Are you temperate in your fun, in the enjoyments, in your, the things that you do for pleasure? One of the things that, that I see, and maybe you don't see it, maybe you don't agree with me, but I, I noticed that with the, the internet and the ease of of finding things online, it seems sometimes we're preoccupied with humor. Uh, did you see the, the, latest, the latest video clip of 
you know, some funny event, somebody trips or falls or, uh, it, are, are we out of balance in that area? Is that really to be the life of the Christian? Should we have a mindset that is, is just always funny and things are, are silly? Are we to delight in the foolish things that the world brings to us? Or are we to be sober-minded? Are we to be, have a mind that is serious? And I enjoy fun, and I enjoy the occasional joke, don't get me wrong, but are we out of balance? Are we out of control in that area? Just listen to a few things in that regard. Titus 2 verse 12 says that we are to deny ungodly and worldly lusts and to live soberly in this world. We're to be in the right frame of mind as we move through life. If our mind is just silly and funny, how are you going to handle the temptations that come along? Are you going to be sober enough and in your, your right mind enough to be able to handle them? Peter likens it to being around a lion. He says, be sober, be vigilant, because the devil, like a roaring lion, is looking to devour us. And probably none of us would be joking if we knew that a lion was just around the corner. We'd be sober and watching. And it's the same with sin and temptation. We have to maintain a composure of a sober mind, one that is thinking properly if we're going to stand against the temptations that Satan brings our way. Jesus said in Luke chapter 8, verse 14, he's talking about uh, the power, remember he gave the parable of the sower, and one of the kind of people that the gospel did not take root in was those that are simply uh, bogged down with the cares and joys of this life. They're just simply enjoying life and completely uh, not thinking about Christ and not thinking about God. And when the gospel comes to those that are consumed with those kind of pleasures, the gospel does not penetrate their life. They're not in a position to receive it. And so just think about that in your life as you uh, pursue the, the pleasures, the, the things that, that uh, bring uh, joy to life. That's okay, but just make sure that it's balanced. Someone asked a preacher how things were going in his congregation. He said, well, my people are really up and down this time of year. They're either up at the mountain or down at the beach, and, uh, but they're not at church. And so... I enjoy the mountains, I don't care much for the beach, but it's okay to have those little escapes to get away and, and just uh, put some of the things of life aside, and, but are we balanced? Are we self-controlled? Or is every Sunday a trip to the mountains? Let's look at one more area, then I'd like to close with a challenge. Let's think about our thought life. We're familiar with Philippians 3, where it tells us the kind of things that we should think upon but I'd like to go to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Our minds is one of the hardest things to control. A mind that is, is running rampant is difficult to bring in subjection. 2 Corinthians 10, I'd like to look at verse 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that it exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. Those are nice words and sometimes they're hard to do. Remember how we talked about the works of the flesh and or the, 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 what the, the desires of the flesh and the pool of the spirit, remember we talked about that tug of war? 
probably all of us have experienced in our life, in our thought life, where we felt like we were being, being pulled apart. Uh, God was telling us one thing through his spirit. Satan was telling us something else, and we just felt like our mind was in turmoil. Most of us have experienced that at some point. The Christian, through his temperance, is able by the aid of the spirit to bring those thoughts captive. We see that tug of war there in verse 5 things that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. There's that idea of, of conflict, contrary, tug of war. But the Christian through temperance is able to bring those thoughts into captivity to the obedience of Christ and have the right side win the thought battle. And so in our thought life, are we self-disciplined? Are you able, when your, your mind is, is regurgitating things it shouldn't, when it's, it's fighting a war, when it's bringing temptation, are you able through the aid of the Spirit to take your thoughts and say, no, I'm bringing that unto, into, under the captivity of Jesus Christ. I'm bringing that into obedience to Jesus Christ. And sometimes that is hard to do. You're in Corinthians. I'd like to close with 1 Corinthians chapter 9. I trust that as you examine your life, in relation to temperance and self-control, that if God would show you something that you need to work on, that you would have the stamina to do that. But I'd like to close with a challenge in 1 Corinthians 9, verses 24 through 27. Paul is speaking, and I, my picture of Paul is a man that is, is a giant in the faith that is strong in his knowledge of Christ and his obedience to Christ. Scripture would prove that. And yet Paul himself, though, though he was so close to his Christ, so close to his Lord, he recognized that he himself needed self-control in his life. Listen to his words here in 1 Corinthians 9, starting at verse 24. Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize. So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. There's our word again. A man that's going to win a race, he, he brings his body into subjection and self-control and self-discipline that he might win the race. And Paul is, is, is drawing a picture for us here. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, just a trophy to hang on a wall but we an incorruptible. Verse 26, I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air, but I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, self-control, temperance, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. That's from the Apostle Paul. All the, all the challenges he faced, all the all the victories he won. And yet, Paul says, if I don't keep my body in subjection, if I don't gain control through the Spirit, though I may lead others to Christ, I myself could fall to the, the, the fleshly desires, and I myself could be a castaway. And if Paul can say that, I think every one of us would have to admit this could happen to us. No matter who you are, no matter how devout you are in the faith, we have to say along with Paul, if we don't gain temperance in our life, if we don't subdue our bodies, we ourselves are prone to the lusts of the flesh and fulfilling them, 
we ourselves could fall and be a castaway. And that's sobering. But remember, temperance is a fruit. It's not something you're going to do on your own power, but as you walk closely with the Lord and are obedient to his spirit in your life, he will produce temperance within you. May God help you in that effort. Let's kneel for a word of prayer.